And I said, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? She said, I think I remember the film. And as I recall, I think we both kind of liked it. We did. I'll say that's one thing we got. Guitar break. Psychologically tall. I'm talking about ethics. You you packed it and packaged it, slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now sell it. You want to sell it well. Shame. <laughs> I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. They'll soon be back and in greater numbers. Any friend of Olive's is a friend of our daughter. I am really close on this one. Really, really close. Let's watch my favorite part again. Shall we? Hello, I'm Daniel. And I'm Amanda. And you're listening to Scenes from a Marriage, a his and hers movie podcast. I like some movies. Amanda, you like some movies. I do like some movies. They're not always the same movies. But they can be. And they're not always for the same reasons. That's true. So thanks for tuning back in. We have watched a number of movies in the past couple of weeks Mm -hmm. that could probably qualify for this podcast. We've watched a, a lot of Amanda movies, mostly because Valentine's Day just happened. That's right. Valentine's Day has come and gone. And uh, we hope that you all enjoyed uh, hunkering down in your various bunkers. Eating lots of chocolate, watching chick flicks. And turning that COVID-15 into a COVID-20. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't end up Deciding to do a show on any of those movies Mm. because uh, one caught my interest that was playing at uh, the Rialto, which is a local theater here in Raleigh. It's a historic theater, a one one screen uh, theater with some stadium seating. It's always fun to go see um, go see things there. And they've been doing a lot of repertory shows due to the, I guess, due in part to the relative lack of new movies emerging and this so this show is a uh, a classic that neither of us had seen which is crazy to think about but go on i mean well is it unlikely that you know that we wouldn't have neither of us would have caught up with it i don't know i i feel like especially being for like having fomo for me i feel like i should have seen it because you know you see the posters everywhere, but sorry, go on ahead and tell everyone what. No, quite it's quite watched. all right. I, I actually I started well. I, I won't get ahead of myself. Uh, so just just in time for Valentine's Day, uh, the movie is Breakfast at Tiffany's. This was released in 1961 and based on the 1958 Truman Capote novella of the same name. This movie captured the hearts of moviegoers and critics alike uh, when it was released. It cemented Audrey Hepburn's place as movie royalty and fashion icon. Mm-hmm. It inspired the uh, One Hit Wonder by Deep Blue Something in 1995, <laughs> you may remember. Mm-hmm. This much we know. But why? And how? What is it about the misadventures of one Holly Golightly that the world responded to so unanimously? The film has charmed audiences for decades, despite the fact that its leading lady is essentially a call girl. Mm. Its leading man is kind of unremarkable. Its enduring legacy is marred by a portrayal of blatant racism. And (laughs) its helming by Pink Panther director Blake Edwards is at best workmanlike. And perhaps, Amanda, this is the most damning of all, nobody has breakfast in a Tiffany's. I know, man. And at nobody's house who's named Tiffany, a person named Tiffany, which is what I thought this was about. I think there's a breakfast scene at some point. No, she's eating a croissant in the very opening scene. Doesn't she offer to make him breakfast? Oh, I don't know. I might be getting ahead of myself. Oh, sorry. But in spite of all of these things, uh, this is this movie is extremely well known. And uh, it seems like one of those just like kind of cultural standbys that's always just kind of there waiting for you to to discover it. 
I mean, what what did you think breakfast at Tiffany's was before you even saw this? Yeah, it's a good question, right? We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. That nothing, well, maybe not nothing, not much about the poster or the title really gives you any idea as to what sort of movie this is. The title of it, to me, conjures up something that's kind of stuffy, that's like drawing room type of thing. Like I almost expect it to be like an American version of like a British aristocracy type of thing where a lot of people sit around lavishly decorated tables and was it because make she, like passive aggressive barbs at each other. But was it because she was wearing that black dress in the movie poster or is it because you knew that Tiffany's was the jewelry store? Was it well you know, I should so I should have known that it was the jewelry store. I didn't know it was until it, it watching the really movie. It didn't really occur to me that that was the meaning of Tiffany in the title. I just assumed it was a person. Because Tiffany could be capitalized as a name or the store. <laughs> Tiffany could be, you know, like a socialite or somebody who, you know, brings everybody together and then in this uh, this meeting orchestrated by the the Tiffany, who probably has you know ulterior motives or something. All of these things take place within then almost like a, a rules of the game, like kind of um, comedy of manners type thing. A Gosford Park, maybe even. I mean, I was thinking that basically the Breakfast Club was eating breakfast at Tiffany's together. That was that was literally my thought. I the mean, kids at Breakfast Club. Well, that would have been a very different movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would have. <laughs> but about you just think about maybe it's the dress and the little and the long cigarette holder. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about it that gives you the idea of the people are going to be wearing like those like white gloves and just being like dainty and like that's going to be the movie. And maybe that's just not that appealing. That idea. What's in reality is maybe something uh, a bit more, a bit more appealing to a, a broad audience. Um, but so, so with, and what about, what about you? Have you had, was that what kind of your, you were thinking the breakfast club? I was literally thinking the breakfast club was having breakfast at their friend Tiffany's house. And I literally don't know why I thought that, but that's what I thought from the title. Cause I've never heard of what actually happens in that movie. All I know is Reliant K and their song that mentions breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. Tiffany's. Yeah. Um, and then. The deeply something. Yeah. And th- th- their video is drifting a little bit on this, like they're going around the streets of New York City. Won't you join me? Yes, join Audrey Hepburn as you've never seen her before, kicking over the traces and bringing to life Truman Capote's breakfast at Tiffany's. I never could do that. Audrey Hepburn as Holly Golightly who typifies and glorifies the glamorous playmates of this dizzily spinning world as she and George Pippard breeze through the glitter and shimmer of New York as it has never been captured before. You have a special invitation to attend Audrey Hepburn's open house on the wildest night New York ever knew. Yes. Oh. oh, good evening, eh? Tell you one thing, Fred, darling. I'd marry you for your money in a minute. Would you marry me for my money? In a minute. So I guess it's pretty lucky neither of us is rich, huh? Please, darling, don't sit there looking at me like that. Holly, I'm in love with you. So what? So what? So plenty. I love you. You belong to me. No. People don't belong to people. Of course they do. I'm not going to let anyone put me in a cage. I don't want to put you in a cage. I want to love you. Audrey Hepburn and George Papard, searching for love in the big town, but sharing only part of their lives until they find the deep, warm moment of truth that can't be hidden, even by the oddball antics on the brittle surface of New York. So dispelling all of our preconceived notions, we went and actually and saw the film. So mm-hmm. is this a good time for you to tell people what happens in the movie? It can be, if you would like. So yeah, these are the things that didn't happen at, <laughs> in Breakfast at Tiffany's. What actually happens? Amanda, explain to us the plot, please. All right. So Breakfast at Tiffany's is about 
a young girl, she's actually 19, I found out, uh, who is going about her life trying to find a wealthy man to marry or just take advantage of. Um, However, those wealthy men try to take advantage of her, but she does not allow that that we know of. And she meets a man who is basically her male counterpart um, that is doing the same thing. Uh, but I, I think he he's okay with him doing that until he meets her. And it is essentially a weird love story that's not quite a love story. But anyway, she wants to... She's all about, like, her future with her brother, Fred, um, once he comes yes, back. Yes, Fred, important, yeah. Very important, Fred, back from the army, and... So the movie is just about her trying to find the means so that her and her brother Fred can live on a farm and survive. And she gets caught up in some drama that she doesn't realize has been happening. And because I'm not supposed to give things away. You're not supposed to give the ending away. Okay, the ending. So she, yeah, she's basically a call girl and she is helping a mob boss unknowingly and that's what happens and there's a cat most important thing there's a cat and it's nameless and wow i'm there is a cat yeah and that's really important or at least i would say it's going to be really important to our enjoyment of the film (laughs) surprising no one sorry dog lovers but this is the best tv cat or movie cat that i've ever seen Except Prim, because she would be better. Anyway. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, no, this is this is <laughs> certainly one of the great movie cats of all time. The best movie cat. That might be just as, as good a way Name another. to get rid of it. What? Name another best movie cat. Well, my first thought was the cat from Inside Lewin Davis. Okay, yes. That's yes. a good cat. Tied really well into the theme of the movie. Princess Diaries, King Louie. Do you remember? It's been a long time since I've seen Princess Diaries. It's a big old cat. Uh, And then, of course, there's the movies that are built around animals like That Darn Cat. (laughs) That Darn Cat, yeah. Sassy and Homer Bound. Sassy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's Milo and Milo and Otis. Of course, that was a number of cats. The ones that are always impressive are the ones that seemingly do things on cue. You know, they, they seem to be able to, you know, act. Yeah, <laughs> this is a good cat actor, a cat-er. Okay, I tried to, I tried to, it didn't work. <laughs> the, so the, the unnamed cat in the movie is uh, actually a cat named Orangey. So and, fitting, because it's black and white. I'm kidding, it's orange. <laughs> well, the cat is the winner of two Patsy Awards. Wh- which means what? Like it's good at being pat on the head? It so it st- it's an acronym that stands for Picture Animal Top Star of the Year. Okay, that's... Patsy Award. Uh, it's been in an, a, a number of movies. Obviously, Breakfast at Tiffany's, including uh, the Diary of Anne Frank. Oh, and cat got around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is this will be um, a fun little tidbit for anyone who knows our friends Tracy and Andrew. Uh, one of the regular roles that this cat had was as Minerva <gasps> on the television series Our Miss Brooks. What? So, uh, yeah, also known as Orangey Miner- Orangey Minerva, but this is a this is a male uh, a male cat, orange cat. But uh, yeah, th- so the, the cat does a lot in the movie. It's actually quite a pivotal role. I had no idea, and I think that's an, that's one reason why I really enjoyed it because that cat was all over the film and it was just it was fun movie cats are great to watch mm-hmm. and part of it is because it's such a magic trick because everyone knows you can train dogs easily to do things that you want them to do when a cat does what you want it to do on screen you're like how did they get that guy to do that <laughs> this just quickly uh you mentioned is uh you mentioned the the basic outline so uh holly golightly is played by uh, audrey hepburn and uh, the writer Paul Varjak, uh, George Papard, is um, uh, plays uh, th- this fellow who moves to the apartment complex in which 
Holly is living in Manhattan mm-hmm. and they meet sort of by happenstance when Oh yeah, cuz why why did he even go up to her apartment? I didn't understand that in the beginning. He just kind of showed up. I mean, I know he that was like the place where his no, he is the the mistress's he's the the wife's gigolo. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is, that, is that what he is? She got that apartment for them for their. I don't time really understand together. gigolos, so. I feel like it's like. A is that like insane clown prop posse? It's like a a male call girl. <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> did she just say? <laughs> insane clown posse. I don't know what that. Did, it, did just keep going? Just okay. Keep going. Anyway, that was the little love nest, the secret love nest from her husband. But no, but he he meets her originally because he doesn't have the key to the outside door and so he's how did he get the... inside though what do you mean he got into her apartment no no they met outside she lets him into the apartment oh so that he can use the phone remember right 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 okay. and then she is all over the place and then later that night after she comes home from a date and is trying to get away from one of these guys she climbs out the window goes up the fire escape and goes in his apartment right right but I just, I thought he was trying to get the key to his apartment. He was trying to get, no, he was, so it, it, he's got a key to his apartment. He doesn't have the key to the outside door oh, got to it. get him into the building. Makes sense. So that's now. why she, that's why he um, gets her to let him in. Okay. I thought he was just being creepy and saw a pretty girl. Anyway. No, uh, she, he didn't see her because she was sleeping. The best part with her sleep mask and her little earplugs. Yeah. Anyway, I love her earplugs, the little tassels. It was strange and so this is this is why holly golightly and hepburn have become this fashion icon because even even down to her earplugs yes everybody wants the (laughs) earplugs and the sleep mask like literally everything that she wears in the movie is goals yes hashtag goals hashtag goals and the hairstyles the bump is this a me movie or a you movie i think it would be a me movie but you told Why me you, you enjoyed that? it because it's a comedy and it's a romance and it's quirky and weird and there's a cat in it. You you also <laughs> love cats, but I do. I I, I enjoyed also love weird stuff. Yeah, that's true. It it wasn't weird enough for me to dislike it. Not that weird movies. I dislike weird movies, but mm-hmm. not your kind of weird movies. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, since we're already on this, talk a little bit about the fashion. Because again, this is this was a big thing, I think, that has made the movie stick in people's memories are like the the outfits that she wears and uh, and all of that. So that was like, you know, that was a, a key ingredient, I think, to the success and the staying power of mm-hmm. the film. I mean, I loved watching the scene where she got put together in a matter of minutes Going from her sleep mask and earplugs to wearing the the memorable black dress and well in that large hat, mm-hmm. um, and how she just put her hair up like no big deal. Um, the tiny little short bangs. I don't understand. Was that a thing in the sixties? The tiny little bangs. Uh, it seems likely. I mean, I don't, I not a not by any means an expert on sixties fashion. Holly go likely and her uh her little barrette maybe like the mm-hmm. little diamond barrette and her updos um and you know you see a lot of girls trying to be Holly go lately for Halloween but I feel like nobody really knows what the whole movie is about like maybe they wouldn't dress up as her if they knew how she was but I mean the style well maybe not or Maybe there's something to Holly that is aspirational on mm-hmm. some level. She's very carefree. I mean, I I admire her character because she's so different. Um, what did you think of her outfits? Yeah, probably not the best person to answer that question. I mean, being I mean, being a guy, what what did you think? I mean, well, being a guy, there's a lot of uh, moments in the movie where she like wears a bed sheet or a uh, she was wearing like a, a, a blanket she's literally wearing like a, a blanket mm-hmm. yeah uh, she made it work though but see i think that's 
that's maybe one of this the movie's virtues in terms of like keeping an audience interested but not like taking them to a place that they don't want to go mm-hmm. like there's there's a um there's a sensuality running through the movie but it's never overt like there's a lot of uh like she goes up to the guy's room or whatever and he's clearly you know unclothed in bed mm-hmm. but he's just like sitting there but you see his you know like his you know his, his chest or whatever but like they don't really make a mention of it and doesn't nothing else comes of it uh so like there's there's a little a lot of kind of teasing going on mm-hmm. which is what the character does as well mm-hmm. she essentially is a tease to these uh to the guys men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to get them to give to you know uh, give her money to spend time with them and then you know they follow her home wanting more and she you know, slams the door in their face. See, the thing is, it, she in some ways defines what we think of as like classic or like, because I was going to say, you know, a really sleek classic outline, you know, just like this kind of uh, tall, um, you know, just tall, thin uh, person who like her outfits aren't super involved. They're mm-hmm. usually pretty simple. They've got right. big, bold um, kind of, uh, you know, one or two colors. Black is usually one of them, mm. like black and white. So it's kind of bright pink. Which one? Which was the black? She, when she came home from the date with her home, uh, hopefully fiance, but and of course the glasses, the sunglasses. Oh, I loved her glasses. She was always wearing sunglasses, and I loved those. Yeah, very chic. Um, chic is a good word. Yeah, that mid-century modern. She and she's very playful. I, and I like that she doesn't really care how she looks in the sense that she feels like she needs to be absolutely put together. She Because she says that, what did she say about the earrings? Like a man can tell by the earrings that you wear, like you have to wear good earrings. Anyway, in her crocodile shoes. Right, oh, all, all, alligator. alligator, not crocodile. Alligator Same shoes, thing. that's what I thought. Yeah. Just kidding, they're not. Yeah, yeah. She definitely carries herself as a person who is really at home with luxury, you know, like she go when they go into the Tiffany's and she's looking at this just absolutely enormous array of like this, you know, diamonds. Uh, and like you kind of believe that she would feel OK just to pick it up and wear it as an accessory, mm-hmm. even though at that point she doesn't have a whole lot of money to her name. Mm-hmm. Like so there's but I think a lot of people feel maybe aspirational in a sense that. Like she seems like she's taking control of her own destiny. Like she seems like she like her like her dalliances with these men doesn't maybe just because of the way she carries herself doesn't read as desperate. Mm-hmm. Like it reads as calculated, right? Yeah, and maybe because she well she came from nothing. Like they talked about how she and her brother were found on a farm, like stealing milk from Doc Go Lightly. But she came from nothing and she aspired to be more and she is using these men. However, when she's unable to rope one, she's not too disappointed. Like, I feel like she kind of goes into it um, expecting more, but maybe not expecting to get them. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like the one time that we see when she gets truly upset is when she finds out the news about her brother. So, and so we see that she doesn't have very many close relationships. Like she doesn't trust many people. She calls Paul Fred because he reminds her of his, of her brother. And so watching that relationship develop through the movie, I really enjoyed. It's definitely what a guy wants to hear when he meets a beautiful woman. (laughs) You're You're just. You of my brother. (laughs) I mean, he, he had an older woman. No, but, um. I enjoyed watching that relationship and also seeing that she really cares for her brother and knowing that she has real emotion. She's not a phony as, uh, who is that? Like her, uh, yeah. The, man. The, the, the agent, yeah, um, her agent. Berman played by Martin Balsam, who is a, um, classic era actor who I quite like. I like seeing him pop up in different things. What, what has he been in? No, notably, I know him from Psycho. He oh, plays okay. the detective in Psycho, but he's been in a lot of other stuff. I want to say 12 Angry Men. Uh, he pops up quite a bit in movies from this era. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also, I mean, I love the scenes where she creeps up to his apartment and just how, you know, they can go back and forth. And when he sees her sitting on the 
Ledge singing that song, which I heard you during the movie laughing. <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was she playing the correct notes on the guitar? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, think you, I feel like you have some things you want to say about the song, but... Uh, well, no, I, I was curious. Okay, so the, the song was Moon River, mm-hmm. which I found that uh, it was composed by Henry Mancini, I believe. And, who also does the the score for the film, mm-hmm. and then the lyrics were done by um, Johnny Mercer. Anyway, I noticed that you were uh, watching her. Um, I can't to hit help the it. But how, like, how do you know? I mean, I you're a mu- musician. I played the flute, but I I don't know. I just feel like like I will say whoever whoever coached her, like she did a decent job pretending. If you didn't know that. She wasn't really playing it. Uh, it's not as obvious as some. Like, for example, the we just w- recently rewatched Airplane and the girl on the plane who's playing, <laughs> who's trying to act like she's playing guitar and that is not doing a very good job of pretending. Of course, again, it's a comedy, so she really doesn't have to. But when she's on the windowsill, yeah, like she, like she kind of looks like she's making, you know, some bar chords, but she's not really doing it right. It's fine. I just, I can't help but notice it. It's a, it's an affliction of being a, a guitar player. Whenever you see somebody on screen, you can tell if they're playing or not. I wonder if other musicians or, you know, people who play guitar notice the same thing or if that's just like Surely. goes over their head. Okay. I mean, not like I would know, oh, they're playing the flute wrong. Cause I don't, I don't remember these things, but you you consistently play. I mean, you're, you are a musician, so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice little song. I was surprised to find out that it actually won the Oscar for best song. In Uh, an Academy award for the, yeah. Best original song. And it won a Grammy too. Really? Yeah. Um, for best song in a movie or for record of the year and song of the year. Huh? Yeah. Oh, did, did they say who performed it? In the record of the year, surely it wasn't uh, Audrey Hepburn. I don't know. Well, I know that I, I saw that they wrote the song for her, and it looked like they were going to cut it out of the movie. But in Audrey's way, she told them that she was like they had to put it in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she she's definitely not much of a singer. Like she's she's barely hanging on to this. I song mean, did she they... actually sing that in the movie? though? like was that her singing it? I think so. I think she did a good job. You know. Mm-hmm. But so that that distracted me a little bit from that scene, which might have otherwise been like a really, you know, romantic scene. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to watch because this is, a, you know, the early 60s. So we're kind of in a transitional period from like the golden age studio era, classic Hollywood to what will become uh, more like new Hollywood. And, you know, it's more movies are being made in color um, so it's interesting to watch them try to do the same like soft focus photography in close-ups on actors that they used to do like back in the thirties and forties, whenever you'd see a close-up of an actress, like I think of Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, it, it gets really like really soft, uh, like the light cause they, they want to make them look beautiful. They don't want it. They don't want to, you know, show any like imperfections and stuff in their skin. They want it's like a glamour. You're shot. saying they did do well, this yeah. in this movie. Uh, you could notice them doing it a little bit in the close-ups. Yeah, which is it. It, it doesn't have the same effect in color. It's kind of weird, but uh, I don't know. I feel like you get this when she's singing Moon River. It's you know, it's this real glamour shot of here like because it's angel. kind of from his POV looking yeah. down into mm-hmm. the window to see like he's kind of falling in love with her. You know, as she's as she's doing this, as mm-hmm. she's singing this song. So it's a nice moment that. Uh, again, if I didn't, if I knew a little bit less about music, it would play just nicer. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I enjoyed it more because I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, but I mean, but it's sweet there, and and I think that's the real like charm of this movie is it's got that like old Hollywood like classic comfort movie type of a feeling. Uh, it, this really kind of warm, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, kind of tone about it. You just you just feel nice watching it. And there's and there's some cute parts where, I mean, the party scene was, there were some good laughs there. Because I was going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Did you find the movie funny? I thought it was funny. I mean, not in a like laugh out loud kind of way. I mean, maybe there was some laugh out. Well, definitely the very end was laugh out loud for us, but that was for a different reason. <laughs> um, but I, I thought it was funny. I especially like the party scene because there's so much going on and it was just kind of wild. And like, 
um, you know, things catching on fire and that lady like drunk looking in the mirror. And I know that's probably in the trailer as well, but um, it, it was just really silly. And how, uh, <laughs> how Holly like conducts herself and is like, you know, zeroed in on the guy who is like what the top, uh, one like the fourth richest man, the the, the ninth richest man ninth, under fifty, under fifty, and then how she leaves the party when the cops come, and she points up to her apartment like that's where the party is. It it was just it was funny, all of it, and I enjoyed that. Did you think it was funny? I did think it was funny. I thought it was, I thought it was successfully funny without really being too jokey in most cases, yeah. mm-hmm. which is good. I mean, you've got a you've got a comedy director who again he's known for doing the Pink Panther movies, mm-hmm. um, and so clearly trying. Oh, I love Pink Panther movies. To wring some you know some laughs out of it, um, and however, the only thing that was not funny was the racist part yeah. about it. That yeah. I didn't. I thought that was just um, with. What Mickey Rooney playing uh-huh. a Japanese man? Yeah, he plays Mr. Yunioshi, the Japanese landlord. Yeah, in I, I, a, an exaggerated caricature. Yeah, with like fake, like prosthetics, like fake teeth, all that. That I feel like. I mean, and I'm sure a lot of people agree that that wasn't needed. It wasn't even funny to me, even if it. You know, like, I mean, it can't not Yeah, because it's a pretty obvious joke anyway, mm-hmm. which is just that, you know, you've got this this guy who's always getting interrupted by, like, they're, they're partying mm-hmm. and just keeps threatening to call the police. Like, it's just, it's kind of a big, loud character anyway yeah. that I don't really usually respond to those uh, in, in the first place. You know, there's there's a lot of things that we can write off as, like, a product of their time. And there's a lot of like movies that classic movies that still people still kind of, they still kind of stand up despite the fact that they have some of those things in them. Like for example, swing time with um, Fred Astaire, who's pretty well thought of. I don't think his, his uh, or excuse me, reputation has been significantly tarnished by the fact that he wore blackface in that and did like a minstrel thing as a big part of that movie. Mm -hmm. But like part of it, you understand because of the fact that like, you're much, much closer to World War II at this point. And so the American predisposition towards the Japanese uh, leaves a lot to be desired, given the fact that, you know, we went to World War II basically because they attacked Pearl Harbor, that, you know, we, uh, the Pacific Theater, the dropping of the oh, atomic yeah. bombs. When was that? 1945 was when the war ended. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that accounts for some of it, right? So the fact that because Too you, soon. You, you have to ask, well, you have to ask yourself like, how did nobody question this, right? right. How did nobody say, uh, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't do that," yeah. or like even if you go back and read like some of the critics' reviews and stuff at the time, um, that some people were just like, you know, just thought the that the, it was a funny like role, supporting role, and so now when you look back on it, I think, you know, we probably started to see changing attitudes toward this, maybe in like the nineties or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, man, this is, this is hard to watch. Uh, and I'm sure there's going to be some people that are just going to say, you know what? I just can't, I can't, I can't deal with it because and it comes right on the screen, like the first couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think it's to turn a lot of people off. It's a shame because it's not really needed. And like, there's so much else in the movie that is um, pretty graceful mm-hmm. and like, you know, like I said, there's there's a lot of things we're gonna talk about that we liked, and I know that a lot of the the people involved in the in the movie, the producer and the director, have you know since said mouth that they have regretted doing that. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of it's just startling to look to look at it uh, today. Right. Yeah. I think there is a joke somewhere in there that works, or I say that on paper, like that it would have worked with a different take on that character. I think there's a there's a running gag to be made about, uh, you know, him calling in the drug bust or whatever. Um, it, you know, again, in in the version that we got, it doesn't really work. But I do like the I do like the subplot about her going to see the mobster. Yeah, what was his name? Tomato. Tomato. Yeah. Sally Tomato. Was his name Sally? I believe so. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. That. That was, that was silly. Because I mean, she didn't, do you do you think she really didn't know? 
that I she think, was giving. I think in the text of the movie, we're, we're, so, we're to understand that she did not know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the only, maybe that's the one aspect in which she's played as not that bright. I think generally she's, she's shown to be a shrewd character, mm-hmm. but like, I feel like that in that point, it just flies over her head. Cause she, she knows that she's getting money from the men so that she can provide them with services. However, she escapes. So she doesn't have to do that. Like she, she knows what she's doing there, but when she's meeting up with Sally tomato, she <laughs> just is like, he's a good friend, you know, he takes care of her. her. Well, yeah, yeah. And she, yeah. And then you've got the fact that uh, Holly was apparently married at 14. Oh, yeah. To this dude from, what, Texas or something. I don't even know. Some some farm somewhere. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, material here. That, just, this is the movie, the, the feel-good movie that captured the whole world. I know. Like it's such a strange, it's really such a strange movie. And to think of all the the posters in stores, like in Kirkland's or whatever, and it has Holly Golightly or Audrey Hepburn with her like long cigarette and the black dress and everything, and just thinking about how wild the movie is. I don't know. It just it it doesn't add up. It's funny. And Buddy Epson is the guy who plays Doc Golightly, mm-hmm. who you or classic television fans might recognize as Jeb Clampett from Hillbill- the Beverly Hillbillies. Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Oh, he did look pretty familiar. Yeah. That was strange with him being married to a 14 year old, but. Uh, and then later she says, oh, it was annulled, which implies that they never slept together, but like, it's still kind of creepy. Yeah. And, you know, mm, creepy. <laughs> Don't like that. Um, yeah. So what did you what did you think of the romance in the movie? Between whom? Paul. Well, between there, I was thinking between Paul and Holly. I was gonna say there could be other well, romances. You, well, there could be. If you want to comment on those. No, we don't have to comment on the others. On the the Brazilian uh aristocrat or whatever eh, that she That was that was whatever. I did like Or when, between Paul and Patricia Neal's character, right? Uh, who did you did you recognize her from A Face in the Crowd? Oh <gasps> no, really? She she's the, was. She's the main girl from that. <gasps> yeah. she, her face looked so familiar. She's older in here, but yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, I have to go back and look at that. I'll I'll comment on Paul and Holly's okay. romance. I like how it started with them as friends, and with her. Telling uh, him that she or that he reminds her of her brother. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, and he looks like Fred. He Yeah. And she calls him Fred throughout the whole movie, which kind of got on my nerves. I just I wanted her to call him Paul <laughs> Fred baby. And um, she did not. But I like how they were friends and she was able to build uh, some trust with him. They were able to spend time together doing things that each other likes to do. And the one day that he sold his book, uh, he told her first, which was Mm -hmm. sweet. Yep. And they spent the day doing things that the other has not done or doing, doing things that they've never done. Right. And I was like, we should do that. See, that's a really great scene. I, scene. I love that scene. And I love the, um, what is it? The five and dime store. Which is part of that sequence where they're doing things they haven't done. Yeah, that that was probably one of my favorite scenes because they are very playful. And I really liked that she was, she was touching things in the store and just kind of like looking back slyly. And then people were checking her out. And then she took her hat over the goldfish. See, that sequence, I understand why the movie was a hit. Mm-hmm. Because I like I was saying earlier, that's the kind of like just movie magic stuff where it's like a little, it's a little bit of a fantasy, mm-hmm. but it's like a grounded fantasy. Like it takes place more or less in reality, but it's just like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be nice to uh, run through New York, um, you know, with 
a, a new love and you know see i like that but i i didn't like how paul was trying to not control her but i mean he was trying to like he said he wanted to take care of her and i'm like well that's not why you should love somebody just because you want to take care of a thing like you're taking care of an animal like he said like you you're putting yourself in a cage but I mean, I liked the end scene, but obviously it was a pretty unstable relationship that they had there. But they were both, you know, they're both pretty unstable. But he he was somebody who was, you know, he was in a bad way pretty much. And so was she. But it, it's like two broken people coming together. Lost souls. Which is like real life anyway. But, you know, we'd like to think that we have ourselves put together more than Holly and Paul. But I wanted to mention that because Paul kept saying something. He kept saying, uh, like, I love you. You belong to me. Yeah. Oh, yes. Which is a bit of an irksome thing for him to say. Didn't I didn't like that. Do you feel like people belong to other people? Well, see, that's the thing. Like, she says, she rebuffs him and says, mm-hmm. nobody belongs to anybody. Mm-hmm. And she says, this cat doesn't have a name. <laughs> Because he's, you know, just like a, you know, just like a bum or whatever. He doesn't even belong to me. I don't yeah. belong to him. And at that point, I'm on her. I'm on her side. Yeah. Right. I think she's right about that. Mm-hmm. When the when we get near the end, and we'll we'll do spoiler talk in a second and talk about the ending. Mm-hmm. It, the movie seems to maybe not side with her mm-hmm. on that, and kind of show that she. I think I think that she's growing in a way to move beyond some of these behaviors that she's come to rely on. Mm-hmm. But certainly we would all say that no one has a claim on someone else just because they happen to feel a certain way towards them. Right. And whether there's anything behind the words I love you or not, they certainly don't constitute any kind of pact or any kind of contract. <laughs> yeah, he has no claim to her because he feels a certain way about her, right? So we, I would, I, that's that's a kind of a clunky bit of writing. Yeah, it was kind of manipulative, just or like how he kind of treated her a little bit. I mean, I agree with her that nobody belongs to anyone, but I I, I did want to see them be together because I wanted her to stop doing what she did continuously because I I wanted her to just slow down. And be a real person and not somebody who was playing games all the time. So I think it ends up in a good place. Uh, there's a maybe some questions about the um, the ethos of how we how we got there. Are we doing spoiler talk now? Sure, we can. We'll we can do spoiler talk. So we'll yeah, because I think the uh, the ending of the movie was significant to to us, and it was certainly significant to me in terms of my overall enjoyment and appreciation of the film. <laughs> so. Let's. Uh, so, if you haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, if you're interested in catching up with the classics, and you can deal with a um, a small role, which is unfortunately uh, caricatures an Asian American, uh, <laughs> you can put that uh, in context. Then check this out. It's probably pretty easy to find. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but it is. You can rent it digitally on most platforms, and of course, there's a you know DVD and Blu-ray. Mm. So, I mean, it's not much of a spoiler because people would assume that they're going to be together. But what was your favorite part at the end that we experienced? Well, okay. It felt so they're, they're, in, they're in the cab, right? Mm-hmm. And he's brought the cat. Uh, basically, so what's happened is the, the guy that she was going to go to Brazil and marry, this rich guy, has found out that she, or because she's like spent the night in jail because she was an accessory to, right. mm-hmm. uh, unwittingly an accessory to these, um, this mafia uh, thing that was going mm-hmm. on. Uh, she's like informing for them without, anyway, so he's like this, the, I can't, that can't be on my family. Like it's not, you know, I, I'm sorry, we can't be together. So she's still going to go get on a plane <laughs> and run, run to Brazil. And she's asked him to send her the list of like the, richest men in Brazil so she can go and do her thing all over again and become, you know, exhausting. Uh, but then anyway, so she puts the cat out in the rain. Oh, the saddest shot of the cat. And I was telling you at oh. first, I wasn't sure how they were going to play that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if that was a symbol of her, like 
getting rid of the things that were like tying her down or, Mm -hmm. you know, letting like letting the cat go was important or something. But then they turn around and they give you this shot, this like, you know, this like, was it Puss in Boots? Like just like sad that shot. That cat this, was this really cat sad. soaking in the rain. How did they and make And you're like, oh no, sad. this is bad. Like <laughs> the cat shouldn't be out there. Um, so anyway, then they have their little fight and he tells her. He throws the Cracker Jack box ring that was engraved at her. Okay, mm-hmm. he just kind of tosses it to her. And what, what does he say? You've caged yourself in or... Yeah, yeah she doesn't want to be caged, and he's telling her that she's done it already because you did of, that to yourself. Yeah. Wow. He goes back and starts looking for the cat. Right, one of them yeah. goes back. He goes back looking for the cat. In she the alley. follows, looking for I guess him, but actually looking for the cat. And I was like, she better find that cat, or else I will be very mad. Yeah, I was really not prepared for the cat to be a casualty of this relationship. I was the most invested in that cat. Anyway, when she finds the cat and then she walks up to him and they start to hug with the cat in between them, Daniel and I busted out laughing, did we not? We did because it was a picture of our family hugs that we have. That is our family hug. It's a prim sandwich. Usually one of us picks up prim and <laughs> she can she's right in, in right in between us. And she loves it. Yeah. Anyway, and, that was the best part. That just really put the cherry on top. So very, uh, very self-focused. We saw ourselves on the screen. So relatable. And so, of course, that made the whole thing for us. <laughs> Me as Holly and you as Paul. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it goes back to what I was saying about the cat. It's, I feel like it's a key factor in the emotion of that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that sequence work without the cat? It doesn't. It does not. So really, we have Orangey to mm-hmm. thank for the romantic, heartwarming ending of Breakfast at Tiffany's. I mean, like, what if it was a dog? You could just call the dog and it would come back. But a cat? Yeah, you're worried that it's really going to be lost. Yeah. Come on now. Oh, I meant to ask you, speaking of uh, Holly and Paul being, well, not being like them, um, from the from the dollar store scene... When they said doing things that you've never done, have you ever stolen anything? Yeah. Uh, if the FBI is listening, no. <laughs> <laughs> but if they're not, no, I've never shoplifted. If that's what you mean, that's what I mean. Yeah, like what? Well, not what in, she, not intentionally. Oh yes, yes. Okay. Well, I mean, we've all kind of done that, and then brought it back, of course. Of course. I think we both did that from the same store. Sure, I made of I might have walked out of H and M with a pair of swim trunks. Oh, I'm sorry, mine was Paxson. Almost okay. got to my car before I realized what I'd done, <laughs> and then just brought it back. No one being the wiser, right? But I don't really count that as stealing. It certainly wasn't intentional. I did steal some things from my kindergarten class when I was <gasps> a child. Some yes. took some toys out of the box and took them home. Mm. I stole a penny at the fire station. I've told you this before. My mom made me bring it back and. And tell the the fire chief or whatever that I took a penny that was laying <laughs> on a table. And that's why I've never stolen anything because that was the lesson that I learned when I was a small child. Well, that's some effective parenting, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. But if I was in that scene, I would have a lot of anxiety if I was Paul. Because mm-hmm. I, I would not do it. However, I really liked those masks. That was super cute. was cute. And pretty daring that they stole something that was... It was right up on their faces for everyone to see. <laughs> and they went right past the cop and she mm-hmm. laughed at him. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was a good one. Is there anything that you haven't done that you would Not like done to? everything. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we can't do that then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, a, it is a good idea for a date, right? Yeah. If you guys have ideas, if you've done things that we haven't. <laughs> I don't think that we're we're going to go play. You won't uh, know until you try. Never have I ever. And yeah. then, we had... then send in some uh, some ideas of what we should do at, I forgot our email. What is it? Podcast at scenesfromamarriage.com. Or text us at blank, blank, blank. <laughs> Amanda, mm-hmm. what would you give Breakfast at Tiffany's out of 
five. Are you looking at me to give? I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna come I, up with something. <laughs> orange cats. No, no. Wait. I th- I thought you were gonna say what you. I thought you had an idea in your head. I mean, I, I didn't. Can, I was. I, just, can, I was. Th- I thought it was just gonna. It was just gonna show up. I can come up with it. Out of five Cracker Jack boxes, five wealthy men. Is that too, <laughs> is that too much? Five uh, sugar daddies. Five sugar daddies, <laughs> like oh, the candy, <laughs> like the candy. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> uh. Don't cut this out. Like y- uh, five golden rings, Cracker Jack rings. Wasn't it? We got to do better. Five earplugs with tassels. Tassel earplugs. Five alligator shoes. No, you can't have an odd number of shoes. (laughs) Yeah, you can't have an odd number of earplugs either. Five dime store masks. Ooh, five Tiffany's. Nope. What is, what is happening? Uh, Five unpublished short stories. Five chords on that guitar. <laughs> chords. <laughs> chords. No. Oh, that. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Okay, let's just um, say five cats. No. Five rain-soaked orange tabbies. Okay, that's that's the only way. I what like would them. you give Breakfast at Tiffany's out of five? Five rain-soaked orange tabbies. Honestly, I would give it five rain-soaked orange tabbies and that is my final answer okay it fit five out of five you you really loved it yeah it fit the bill everything it had it had the laughs the silliness it had the romance it was a little quirky a little weird and it had that element where it really connected with my personal life with the very ending that family hug that's what did it checked it off for me speaking of connections one thing that i i noticed I feel like the free-spirited girl calls her like beau by a different name is a trope. And maybe it's just because I've seen it like um, What's Up Doc did it. Oh, yeah. Uh, where she calls him Steve the whole one. time. Even this time. There's a little bit of that kind of like madcap screwball stuff going on, especially mm-hmm. during those uh, party scenes. Maybe outside of some of those things, some of that party scene, they really just, they're just kind of going for uh, a heightened version of reality. Surely there was at least one introvert at that party who would have left once it became wall to wall people. Such a small apartment. Anyway, how many uh, rain soaked orange tabbies would you give this movie out of five of them? I'm going to give it four. Okay. Four tabbies out of five. Mm -hmm. I definitely enjoyed it much, much more than I expected to. Mm hmm. Uh, is really winning and really charming. There's maybe some aspects that didn't wow me. I don't. I don't know that the like directing or the editing is that is really anything special. Mm-hmm. I I really like the Mancini score, and I, I I like his music in general. There were some times when I thought, is this complimenting the movie? Like it, it seemed a little bit strange to me at, at times. There's maybe some dissonance in terms of the music. Ver- Question the way for that it was you. Used. But, being at the Rialto, did you like when that woman wanted everyone to sing the song at the end? Did you hear her? Oh, that was funny. That was someone someone at the Rialto wanted everyone to join in and sing Moon River. I I did not know the song and was not going to participate, but it was a good try, woman. It's always an interesting experience being at these because these when you're at a showing of these old movies, you know probably most people there have seen it before, maybe multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's like their I think favorite. a lot of these people were really. Like, yeah, I've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah. I really knew it really well. Yeah. So to see what they think are the things that are really, that they've latched onto over the years, is, you know, is kind of amusing. But And there was applause at the end, of course. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to lie. I felt the, I felt the, the urge yeah. to applaud at the end. Wow. Uh, I didn't do it because, yeah. you know, I'm not that person. Yeah. I don't applaud it when a plane lands. I was going to say, well, I, I did hear you. I'm kidding. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna just throw that shade on me um but no i uh i it, it was uh it was a really rousing ending i felt i felt good about it like mm-hmm. i said there's some things that hold it back for sure but um it's definitely a solid movie and it's better than i than i uh expected it to be mm-hmm. all right so that is breakfast at tiffany's if you 
uh, have thoughts you want to share with us, please feel free to email us, podcast at teamsformamirrors.com. And now it's time for Silly Songs with Larry. Kidding, a new segment, which is going to be called what? The Nightstand. So we are introducing a new segment. We've kind of been doing this a little bit in various ways, but we're going to formalize it. Uh, The idea being, if you will reference the cover art for our podcast Mm. uh, of the idea of a couple maybe sitting in bed before they go to sleep and they're both reading something. And so it's like, what's uh, what's on your nightstand? What Mm. have you been, you know, what kind of media have you been consuming maybe in the meantime that Mm -hmm. we're not doing a whole uh, show about, but we want to just maybe catch people up on or just get your thoughts on. So Amanda, what's on your nightstand? All right, so I'll I'll say a few things because you know that I'm a I'm basically like a TV show junkie on Netflix and Hulu. However, there there is one movie that I watched recently, and it's a series. It's like a little series of movies. Maybe some people know about this. I know I know Tara knows about it. To all the it's called To All the Boys I've Loved Before, and there's um there's three. This is the third one, and it's To All the Boys Always and Forever. I know it's very chick flicky, but it's this girl, Lara Jean Covey and Peter Kavinsky. They're in a, I think they're in high school because this is, this is the third one where they're going to be going off to college. Anyway, just finished that one after Valentine's Day and it was super sweet and I really liked those movies. So it's not a series, like it's not a, a limited series, like a TV series. It's just that they've made a number of these movies and they're all sequels to one another. Right. Yeah. And this one, it was just fun. I really liked the colors and I like how they used like social media, like using the phones, like FaceTime and uh, them texting pictures, kind of just like, you know, what teenagers do mostly. And it, it just kind of felt yes, like. Yes, I too am a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it just felt how like they were. do you do fellow kids? <laughs> Like they were really embracing like, you know, 2020, 2021. So that was fun. And then also I just started watching Firefly Lane. I think there's one season that's with Katherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk. So um, yeah, I've seen you watching this. I don't know anything about it. So it's about these uh, girls who have been friends for like 30 years, Tolly Hart and Kate Malarkey. And it's been it's been interesting just kind of about like what happened on Firefly Lane where they grew up. Um, I'm only like maybe three or four episodes in, but it's, it's caught my attention. It's like a drama, you know? Okay. Um, and then, you know, uh, this is us always a thing that's happening. Caught up. Talking about things that are exploiting 2020 or 2021. Uh, right? They are up to date with right COVID and even like with the FaceTime stuff, they kind of did like a tribute to um, somebody who invented that, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, and last but not least, wow, I really am watching a lot. I need to. You know, if you want, you can save some of these for the next nightstand. Don't worry, I'll be watching more. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oops. And as everyone hopefully is watching, The Bachelor. Actually, I can't say that I watch this consistently but I had FOMO this season. So watching that with uh, Matt James as The Bachelor. Well, The Bachelor's basically from your hometown, right? Yeah, he's he's from Raleigh, um, which is hilarious because he said, you know, he's from Raleigh, so he knows about country, being in the country. False. Or he knows, oh, he knows about farms or something like yeah, that. Yeah, about Wasn't farms or said? something, yeah. Anyway, I think that he should pick Michelle, but hometown. to my left. I look to my right. I don't see any farms. <laughs> What are you quoting? <laughs> Matt James? Kidding. Me, after I looked around for any farms in Raleigh. <laughs> There's no farms in Raleigh. Anyway, he should pick Michelle, but, you know, there's that. I was hoping he was going to pick Kristen. Christina. Christina. There's no Christina. It's close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's all of the shows that I'm watching. Hometowns, woo! It's coming up. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm impressed you're able to you're able to keep up with all the shows at once. Well, I won't name some of the other ones, but say that for next time. Well, people can join in and follow you on any of these uh, journeys, right? Um, yeah, you can join the Bachelor group me that I'm in with my friends. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> 
email us. We'll, we'll give you a hookup. Yeah, go on. All right, so what what's on your nightstand? Well, I got back on Mubi mm-hmm. after they offered me a three months for a dollar or something like that. Wow. Um, and so they have a bunch of movies um, from the filmography of one Alejandro Jodorowsky, who is a Chilean slash French slash Mexican filmmaker uh, and is famous slash infamous for making really, really, really weird movies. Oh, that weird movie you're watching. Okay, yeah, it was very strange. So this is what happens when you've like, You've run out of everything. You've we've watched all of the AFI 100 movies. You've gone down the rabbit hole of horror movies and 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 foreign movies, and you and you've seen a lot of stuff. And so now you're looking for like the, just the weirdest thing that's ever been made. And <laughs> those movies are Jodorowsky's uh, movies. And so they've got them on on movie right now. The first one that I watched was called El Topo. Uh, it means the mole. And it is essentially what they, they they call it an acid Western. It's it takes the shape of a Western, but it is so jam packed with weird like symbolism. Tripping on acid. Is that and what that is? Like this guy is obsessed with religious symbolism and like like freaks, like actual like like people that are missing limbs and uh and like are you know, like, like basically the, the kind of people that would populate a circus. He, I think he was actually in a circus at one point. Hmm. Um, you know, like, there's like the dwarfs and everything. There's a lot of violence. It's kind of, it's kind of trippy. There's really no way to explain it. There's nothing else quite like it. Um, and I've watched about 10 minutes of El Topo. And then I thought, this is the guy that they should have got to adapt McCarthy's Blood Meridian. This is a, which is a book that has been famously thought of as unadaptable, and a lot of people have argued over the years is who you know should Blood Meridian ever be adapted and if, for the screen, and if so, who should do it and how should they do it? It wouldn't have made anybody happy if Jodorowsky did it, but he's a guy with enough guts to do it. I saw enough carnage in the first ten minutes of El Topo that I was like, <laughs> this guy could have done Blood Meridian anyway. El Topo's a trip. The Holy Mountain is perhaps, I mean, maybe this, maybe the single most unusual movie I've ever seen. These are not for uh, the average viewer. They do not have aka Amanda. They do not have a coherent plot. They will they will not satisfy you emotionally. Mm-hmm. They pretty much, if there's anything that will offend you, you will be offended. But one thing that I always find interesting, and I always try to do if I can, is to watch multiple films from the same director and to see their progression how they've it, you know if they have used similar styles or been impressed by particular themes and if those you know some some of their movies illuminate their other movies and this is very much the case with Jodorowsky who made two movies much more recently called The Dance of Reality and Endless Poetry both of those movies are extremely autobiographical where they're about him growing up in Chile and being under a domineering father and like all the stuff that they went, that he kind of went through and it's all filtered through his usual kind of surrealism. But going back and looking at those earlier movies, you can kind of see some of the things that he uh, was obsessed with and maybe why he was, you know, treating those particular themes anyway. Uh, if you are a hardened cinephile looking for the next high, Jodorowsky just might do it. His movies are on movie. Uh, if you are anybody else, just stay far, far away and you'll never you'll just never watch miss The it. Bachelor and you'll be fine. Yeah, that's uh, that's what's been going on in the background for. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a lot. <laughs> All it's, right. it's quite something to, to bite off. It sounded like it from the other room. Well, they, uh, movie also has the films of Eric Romer. So that would be a much more cultured cinephile thing to watch since he's a, he's a director from the French new wave that I have yet to uh, dip my toes into. 
So that's our show today. We'd love to hear any feedback that you might have, including your thoughts on Breakfast at Tiffany's or anything else we talked about on today's episode. Suggestions for movies to cover in the future. Right. You, you can, know, St. Patrick's Day movies. Yeah. Yeah. We, we should probably uh, we should probably look to the future a little bit and see Back to the future? what's coming up. Kidding. You can email us at podcast at scenesfromamarriage.com. That's podcast at scene, S-E-E-N-S, fromamarriage.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts to help us find new listeners. Have a, oh, let's say have a good night, but you know what? It could be during the day when you're listening to this. So have a good one. And if you're listening to this in order to try and sleep at 3 a.m., oh, then... Sweet